Hello, my friends. Winter came to stay. The storm from last week must have changed something in the air, must have started something new, a new chapter, because shortly after it there was a snowstorm in my forest. Again. I hid myself away for hours and hours underground. I hid away and watched from my little windows of roots and vines. By nightfall, the air was so full of snow that the sky still seemed bright and white as the day. It was really something. It made me so tired again. When you're alone and it's cold and the Halloween ghosts have all left, and even the animals are hiding away deep underground. It can really make you just simply tired. That is cold's purpose, I think. Cold is there to remind us that it is time to hibernate. Time to rest. Rest is good. No matter how hard I fight it, rest is good. I know this. It's not that I dislike rest. It's that I dislike myself for needing rest. I can see it in my face. I can see my own change, as the change of the seasons, since that is the kind of monster that I am now. I am the kind of monster who can blend in with her forest. And so my hair turned white. A little bluish, but mostly white. Thick and large, it helps both hide me and keep me warm. And I'm grateful for it. And my skin is a pale blue. It started with my fingers and toes, and spread up my limbs like gloves and boots. But my skin has changed again, as it does, I'm learning. It no longer feels like dead leaves and it no longer has any growing plants or sprouts along it at all. It is smooth and shining, like ice. I looked in my mirror and barely recognized myself again. But that is a good thing, I think. We should keep changing. Keep changing ourselves. Keep surprising ourselves. But it is in the humanity of my face. The circles under my eyes, the frown in my mouth. Those are what make me look so tired, and those are what I despise the most. Staring in that mirror, as cold as I am. Once the storm was over, I left to go outside. Cold unlike anything I've felt before as I sat down in the snow. I must immerse myself in that which makes me uncomfortable after all. What I'd give to have a friend made of fire again right now. Feeling judgmental towards myself, feeling afraid for what humans would think of me if they saw me so tired and changed as I was, feeling afraid to be seen yet braving the chance anyway. I took out my deck of tarot cards. I shuffled them, 
and I drew a single card to clarify my thoughts for a story I should share this week. What is a message I need for my forest, from my forest, to my forest, through my forest? Vague questions for vague thoughts. Remember that last week I drew the King of Swords reversed? This week, his queen came out to play. The Queen of Swords reversed. I thought it must be a joke of some kind, a joke that my hands were playing on me as they shuffled the cards. A joke my forest was playing as the wind whistled through the newly bare trees. But she represents coldness. Very funny. Coldness, bitterness, resentment. Lack of clarity. Fear of others' opinions. Isolation. And here I am. I am not afraid of these things. But I am going through them. That's all right. We must identify what's wrong before we decide to let it go, right? It is very much all right to go through what you need to go through. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. That was my error last week. I was so afraid of the reversed King of Swords that I didn't even tell you what he stands for. It's all right. He is gone and past now, and now we have the Queen, in all her lonely and injured glory. Very well. I don't know how long I can stay out here for. It's too cold. It's very cold. But I'd like to tell you a story while I'm here. I'd like to tell it here for any of the tired little creatures or the confused phantoms, or the lost spirits who might be here, and cold, too. And I hope my voice can help them find their way somewhere warm. I'd like to be out here, since I don't know if I will be again for a long, long time. Let's see. There was once another woman who was very, very tired. She was a singer, world-renowned and celebrated by thousands and thousands of people all over for her incredible voice, her beautiful songs, and her glamorous appearance. She worked very hard on all three of these things, and had spent the better part of her lifetime cultivating them very deliberately and carefully. Success is such a difficult thing to attain, whatever that means, and she worked very hard for every ounce of it that she got. She knew it was dependent on others liking her. She knew that she had to be adored, not just by some, but by everyone, and she had spent year after year so focused on that one thing, being loved, that she was, finally, exhausted. She had spent so long being concerned about what others thought of her, that she did not actually know what she thought of herself anymore. That is a dangerous place to be. It is a hurting place to be. And when someone is hurting, 
of course they hurt others. It was not one thing that happened, but many things. She grew cold. She developed a reputation for being demanding, for being difficult, for being careless of the feelings of others. And she was all of those things. Fame can turn people cruel. It can numb them to the feelings of others simply because other people care about them so deeply that they begin to believe that they do matter more. Not always, and most have the good sense to hide it. But for some, for some it is harder to hide. For some, that rot on the inside begins to seep on the outside. And it did for her. She once had a mother and a father who loved her dearly, but she became so consumed with the idea of herself that she forgot entirely about them. She once had a brother and a sister who loved her dearly, but she disliked the way that they treated her like an equal and not a genius, and so she pushed them away too. She once had a husband and a daughter who loved her dearly, but she was angered by the way that they expected her to give them as much of herself as she gave to the rest of the world. Even more, perhaps. And so she left them with a pile of money and a false word of regret. She didn't quite know why, but doing these things to those she loved made it easier to do them to those she didn't even know. She was rude to those who worked for her, she was coarse to those who served her wherever she went. She was mocking to those who had less than her. Because there were thousands and thousands of people telling her how very wonderful she was, she believed it without actually doing anything wonderful for anyone, ever. It was the easiest thing in the world to trick herself into believing. She hardly even noticed that she had no one and nothing deep down for all her admirers and riches. It's easy to be distracted by all the gold and the applause, I'm sure, but it would all go away in one fell swoop. A review was published. A review of her latest performance. It was even more cruel than she was. It spoke to her degrading vocal skill. It spoke to her cloying and overplayed songwriting. It spoke to her declining beauty and growing age. And just when that was enough to set her heart pounding against her ribcage in a terrible symphony of emotion, the review spoke to her decaying soul. This critic has learned a little more of our beloved star's treatment of those she loves, or rather those who loved her it said, how a single person can demand not only love, not only support, but money and loyalty of thousands of strangers, while forgetting the very people who gave her their everything on her rise to stardom is beyond me. It is despicable. We hear accounts, wherever she goes, of her harsh words and her lack of empathy. She cannot hide it any more and I urge you to no longer support this egomaniac in her selfish endeavors. Spend your money and your love on those close to you. 
not on this has-been who is no longer deserving and no longer grateful for it. The review destroyed her. Of course I mean that it destroyed her career utterly, but I also mean that it destroyed her. The entire world now saw her as the rotten thing she had let herself become. The rotten thing she loved being. She had never thought to hide it, because she didn't see it. She only saw the adoration. But now that it was gone, she couldn't face anyone's eyes on her any longer. She sold everything she had and purchased a new home somewhere far, far away that no one would know about and where no one would find her. It would be the greatest deception of her life, really. She would hide away and no one would know what happened to her, and she would still have the money their misplaced acclaim had given her, and she would make out like a thief in the night with it all. She could live out the rest of her days in wealth and comfort. If only she could forget the way they had exposed her, the way they had judged her. But in time, certainly, she believed she could. Because who were they, after all, compared to her and her greatness? She was beyond judgment, surely. Never mind the train trip there and the horrible stares passengers would give her as they looked up from their newspaper. Never mind the people who spat at her feet, or the little girls who wept at seeing their fallen idol now in disgrace. They don't matter, she told herself. None of them matter. She finally made it to her new home. An enormous mansion, a castle almost. She hired a small staff of servants to care for her, who lived in town and would provide for her everything she needed, and then leave her alone by nightfall each day. She would have preferred to be completely alone, but she didn't intend to do any kind of manual labor herself, even if it was for herself. She didn't even look them in the eye when they thanked her for the job opportunity. She wasn't quite happy in this place, not yet, not even after a week, because she hadn't forgotten the leering eyes of the public. But she kept telling herself that she would. She would easily forget in time. She had an enormous bedroom, a beautiful music room, a glorious dining room, and a generous kitchen. She had more room than she knew what to do with. Her favorite place by far, however, was the glass house. It was a little conservatory in the west wing of the mansion. The walls were glass, tinted with age, and here trees and plants and flowers thrived. The previous owners had left it intact and everything had grown since then. 
It was an utterly chaotic array of green leaves and flowering plants. And she loved it. It was the one place she did not allow the servants to clean. She set up a decadent, cushioned couch there and a phonograph so that she could listen to herself sing and imagine that no one else existed in the whole wide world except for her and her voice. One afternoon she fell asleep in the glass house. By the time she awoke, everything was dark and all the servants had gone home for the evening. Ungrateful, untalented, undeserving fools, she thought to herself, not entirely sure why she felt such hatred for them, but allowing herself to feel it anyway. I see you. She was amazed to hear the sound of a whisper, almost as if it was in the room with her. She waited. She waited a long while. Perhaps it was just her imagination. Perhaps it was nothing. Yes, it was nothing. The voice didn't come back. The voice was impossible. She stood up, collected herself, and left to have a solitary meal that someone else prepared for her and that she was not grateful for. And then she would toast to her own health and head to bed. The next day she demanded of her servants if someone had stayed behind to play tricks on her in the glass house. They all denied having any knowledge of such a thing, and indeed she knew it wasn't possible, and so she let the issue die. Of course she spent her afternoon there again, however, and every afternoon after that. The voice went away for now. How she admired the sound of her own voice. How she admired the song she'd written about a feeling like love that she was no longer able to truly feel. She began to spend her afternoons only with herself until the servants went home and she would get the entire mansion to herself. The sting of the world's knowledge of her rottenness was slowly fading. She remembered that she would always be there for herself, and that it would be enough. Do not mistake me, friends. It is important to love yourself. I love myself more than anything I do. You know this about me. I love myself too much. But what happens the moment you realize that everyone else is just as important to themselves as you are to yourself? What happens the moment you stop and see someone else's pain and fear that you may experience that pain for yourself someday? Yes, you must love yourself absolutely and unconditionally, but the second that love for yourself turns to disdain for others, beware, for you are becoming your own villain.
And that is what happened with our anti-hero here. Our non-hero. One day, she was hiding in her conservatory, of course, admiring the rotting plants as well as the growing ones, and the untended vines, and the fallen fruit being eaten up by insects. Admiring her voice, imagining that it was that fruit, and the insects were her ungrateful fans, her audience that demanded meal after meal after meal and discarded the pit when they were done with her. How she hated them now. I can see you. There it was again. Who's there? She asked. No answer. Listen, you idiot. She hissed between clenched teeth. I don't know what kind of trick you think you're playing on me, but I guarantee that you don't know who you're dealing with. No answer. She sighed. She knew no one was there with her. It was her nerves. It must be her nerves. They weren't quite right since that review was released. It's not me, she said, pressing her hand against her forehead as if to still her doubts in her own sanity. It's not me. It's them. It's not me. It's them, she repeated. They need me, but I won't return. They don't deserve my songs, my voice, my work. They don't deserve me. They're vermin. Filthy, leeching vermin, and I hate them. There you are. The whisper interrupted. She shouted at whoever owned the voice to reveal themselves. But she could not see anyone. She screamed for her servants to come find her. They all rushed to the greenhouse conservatory and saw her frantically tearing at the trees and the plants. One of you has been playing tricks on me, and I demand to know who it is. No one answered. They genuinely did not know. They were all present and accounted for as they ran to her from elsewhere and so she had no choice but to believe them begrudgingly. But not without dismissing them all early, and declaring that they would take a pay cut for the lost hours until the mystery was solved. She saw them out, and locked the front door to her mansion. She returned to the conservatory. It was now pitch black as the sun had set. With shaking hands she lit an old dusty lantern and she saw, outside of the conservatory, standing in the cold, hundreds of people peering in through the glass. Wretched people they were. She could not see them distinctly yet, but she saw that they wore rags and their hair was wet and greasy from being outdoors. Their feet were bare and muddy, their hands were dirty and clawed. Who are you? She asked of them. They did not answer, and so she was forced to move closer. Faces she recognized began to appear, one after the other. Her mother, her father, her brother, 
her sister, her husband, her servants, her manager. Servers who had brought her food and who she'd had fired for a trivial mistake. Orphans who had dared ask her for money. Artists who had requested her support. Musicians she hadn't paid enough to feed their families. Their faces were all around her, outside her glass house, peering in. But their faces were not stable. One moment they would be here, the next on another body. The faces changed, but because none of them were her, her imagination did not even afford them the dignity of owning their own body, it would seem. The voice said again, this time right behind her. She turned around. There was a young woman before her eyes. A young woman who was not long ago a child. She couldn't place the girl's face. She wore a simple black shift. She held in her hands a book. She had power in her eyes. I see you, mother, she said. And the woman lifted her hand to strike her daughter, the one who dared confront her with her own rottenness, the one who dared conjure these images of those she'd wronged, the one who had done this to her so that she could, so that she might. Why did she do such a thing? When she lowered her hand to strike, it went right through the girl, and she vanished. But the phantoms watching from outside did not. Was it a curse, do you think? She had had some kind of magic in her voice, this woman at one time. Perhaps her daughter had magic in her bones. She had wrought a terrible curse on her, to never be able to escape the faces of those she'd hurt most. Or was it, instead, a gift? Was it a calling? A calling to be better? To make amends? To evolve? Perhaps this spell was the only act of love her daughter would be able to give her, after she had distanced herself so easily from those who did love her. After all. Or perhaps it was all in her mind. Perhaps she had all the power in the world, and her conscience was working its own magic on her. What do you think? Do you think she went and found her daughter? Do you think she tried to right the wrongs she'd committed in life? Or do you think she preferred to live in decadent secrecy? Forever surrounded by the disappointed ghosts of those she'd mistreated. I'm tired. Too tired to end the story. And honestly, I don't know how it ends. 
I only saw the ghosts in the glass house. That woman's journey is her own. But I like to think that she found her daughter. That she found her heart. And then she could finally love herself the right way again. Through loving others. I hope you don't mind if I go to sleep now, friends. I need to go back inside. But you'll know where to find me. In my forest. Under a tree. Waiting to talk to you again. Good night, my loves. Be well. friends, and welcome to episode 121 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza speaking. I'm the writer, performer, narrator, composer, producer, etc. behind the podcast, and I'm so grateful for you joining me tonight. It's been a strange week, but here we are talking again, and that makes it a good week. I'm going to get to some thank yous and shout outs, but first let me take a second to talk to you about Manscaped. Support for On a Dark Cold Night is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And guess what, Canada? All of Canada. Are you listening? Man, I wish. Manscaped just launched in Canada, so if you're listening right now, you can be some of the first Canadians to try out these life-changing products. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer and perfected it in their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. I'm not here to tell you how to trim your, you know, but what I do want to say is that it should be an experience that is not described as scary or eerie in any way. Save the horror for your podcasts, not your grooming routine. That's where the Lawnmower 3.0 comes in. It's a third-generation trimmer that's a premium device featuring a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It has a battery that will last up to 90 minutes, so you can go nice and slow and steady and accurate with your process. Another really cool thing is that the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, so you can also bring it with you to the shower. It comes with an LED light, so you can be even more precise and safe and actually see what you're doing. It also has an upgraded 7000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology and a sleek USB-powered charging stand, which looks really high-tech and pleasing to the eye. It's a really cool product, so if you want to try this out for yourself or give it to someone in your life, try the Lawnmower 3.0 for yourself for 20% off plus free shipping by using the code GOODNIGHT, all one word, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code GOODNIGHT. Give your loved ones nether regions a lovely gift this holiday season. Thanks for that, friends. Next, I would like to share some thank yous. I would first like to thank my latest patron of the show through Patreon, Pandora2, or Pandora the Second. I'm so grateful for your support, Pandora2. Thank you so much for joining me over on Patreon. If you'd like to help out through Patreon like Pandora 2, you can receive the perk of my ever-updated and updating soundtrack of the show. And if and when episodes are ready before public release on Wednesdays, you can be the first to listen to them. You can find out more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight, 
And if you'd prefer to help out with a one-time donation and aren't interested in those perks, you can buy me one or more metaphorical coffees through coffee.com at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And as always, and just in time for winter, On a Dark Cold Night has t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. If you'd like to help out in a way that's free but still incredibly supportive to me and the show, you can leave me a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or my Facebook page. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, and I have Facebook and YouTube pages just called On a Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. It really has been a bit of a tough one, just again kind of tiring, you know? So I'm just going to take a moment to remind you to rest well. Again, breathe deeply, stay safe, take care of your heart, talk soon. Good night, my friends. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. So